Welcome out to the Bulls and the Bears. This is Aaron Warby. I'm here with Tarina again. Hello out there. And thank you for joining us again, uh, Tarina. All right. Yeah. Um, For those of you joining us for the first time, Tarina and I are part of Online Trading Academy, the most trusted name in financial education, celebrating 26 years of service. All right. Well, we've got something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time coming up. All right. Because I want to compare different... um, well, I don't know, different strategies, investing strategies. Okay. All right. Um, it just just to look, it, because I've done a lot of numbers on on these, and for the most part, I've got a decent idea of how it goes for most people. Okay. All right. Um, with uh, and, and it's not just my numbers. It's the numbers of the industry mm-hmm. that we work with. All right. But before we get to that, just want to talk about what happened in the, in the markets this week. We had mostly a down week in the markets. Oh. All right. Um, it, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks, right before, uh, what, the end of December, it was mm-hmm. going up. And then ever since uh, January 1st, it's kind of been trickling down a bit. Now, on Thursday, um, we had uh, something happen that shot the markets up. And that was that the Senate passed a bill that, um, you know, it was a stopgap bill to fund the government until a budget can be passed. Now, everybody expected uh, this bill to pass. Everybody expected that a last-minute thing would happen and we wouldn't have a government uh, shutdown or anything like that. But, hey, you never let an opportunity to pass, um, you know, to push a, a market go to waste. So the market pushed up a little bit, right? Yeah, well, so I think really I would say it's more of like a sideways market to me like it's kind of it goes up and then it kind of goes down and it kind of goes up and it kind of goes down so right now to me it's more of like in a sideways pattern like um we're not making higher highs for the month we haven't this week well we're off the highs and yeah this week it was a bit down until until thursday yeah right yeah At, at any rate um you know, so on Thursday, the markets uh, shot up with the news that the Senate had passed the, you know, that stock gap. Um, unfortunately, news events generally don't last. And so we're going to really see what, you know, how the market handles well, it this didn't probably even, over the weekend. It didn't even break the Monday high. Like, it did not. You know, and so like Thursday really didn't even break the Monday high. So to me, it's kind of like, yeah. Well, it was a news event. It was a news event push yeah. up, you know, which was great. I mean, for those who were going long today, it was great, you know, and yeah. and you could have even shorted it and then captured going long. I mean, because the beginning it it went down and right. then it went up. After yeah, well, the and it bounced off of a couple of zones, and it didn't really go up in earnest until the Senate announced that they'd passed it. Right, right. But even then, it got stopped at the next supply zone. If it were a really strong push, it would have blown through the supply zone. But yeah. Eh. All right. So, you know, we're going to see what happens, but it generally doesn't feel like it wants to uh, it wants to do any breakout anytime soon. No. All right. There's a little bit of a drag in the market. Uh, last week we talked about, um, you know, the idea that much of the news out there over the last little while has been um, generated by uh, by the bear voices. And mm-hmm. generally that means that what people are reading is more bearish than bullish and that gives an idea of of the general attitude of the markets okay at any rate um you know just something to be aware of but as you know if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time i think you should be prepared for both 
the up market and the down market. Mm-hmm. I mean, really doesn't matter which way it goes if you're prepared for it. You mm-hmm. simply want to be on the right side of that market. You want to be able to read it. You want to be able to say, okay, it's going down and following that trend or right. it's going or it's going up or it's sideways. Like you just yeah. want to know, hey, where where do I need to trade? Yeah. Well, and and so you know, the the thing is is that every most people do better in an up market. Mm-hmm. But generational wealth for those that know what they're doing is actually made during the bear markets. Mm-hmm. That, that that's when you know that's when the best uh, investing and and trading happens. And right the deals, there. well, the long term investing. So if you're like really looking to go long term and stuff, it's it's not to get fearful in a bear market and stuff. So yeah, you just those that know how to read the market and do well with reading the market generally do exceptionally well in a bear market. Yeah, they're happy to see it come. Yeah. All right. So um, on that note, you know, one of the things that I've wanted to approach uh, for a long time is simply the different strategies of wealth investing. And so I want to go through these uh, one at a time and just talk about them, uh, talk a little bit about them. I'm not obviously not going to go into any real depth in any of them. Okay. Uh, In order to do that, you would really, you know, a, a person would really have to either be on the computer on the screens with me. Uh, so that they could see it or, you know, here in, in a classroom, something like that. Well, it's really hard to describe because there's there's little things that you need to look at and there's yeah. there's pivots and things that we're looking at. And so until you see it, it's hard to see. Like, I mean, even when I took like course strategy course, I didn't really understand what I was looking for until the second time I went through it. Oh, and I know they said the same thing because I've sat <laughs> through the classes a lot helping other students and I'm all... Yep, they say that every time, but I missed it because of all the information that I was learning in our in our um, first uh, big class, right. like five day class and stuff. And so then I was like, okay, it's so nice that we have retakes that you can take retake the class because it's very helpful. It <laughs> is, yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, the thing is, is that is that the market is full of numbers, and any strategy that you have in the market is going to be full of of numbers and figures and percentages and things yeah. like that. Um, I could shout those out, you know, kind of in this podcast. Yeah. But I think that that even for the most adroit out there, some of it would go over their heads. Mm-hmm. All right, and they'd be they'd try and be putting together numbers where they they can't see it. If we can visually see it and experience it while it's happening, we're going to be much better off. You know, and so the best way of learning is involving all of your senses. Uh, some of these strategies are just going to have to involve more senses than your than your ears, right? Yep. Than yep. than hearing. So <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, I'm going to start off with uh, with the most used, and, and that is you know starting with a new or existing retirement account like 401k. Mm-hmm. All right, 401ks are a way of investing. Um, if you've had one for any amount of time, you know that they're they're slow growing. They are. It's 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 a good little um, savings account in a way. You know, I mean, like <laughs> savings. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> if you're getting matched, it's 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 a no brainer. Like, okay, they're putting in extra and they're matching me at this percent, so I might as well put it in. I think it's a it's a nice way to say, okay, this is. This yeah. is this is a slow growing account, and I'm okay with it right now. Well, yeah, and, and for the average person that doesn't know what they're doing, you know, they're kind of stuck with it. Um, but when people come into my center, and often they'll ask me questions about their 401ks and things like that, and sometimes I'll, you know, go ahead and put up, um, uh, 
we'll we'll build out. All right, I've got a, a little spreadsheet that builds out uh, different retirement accounts, and we'll keep it in their four hundred one k, and they get the match, right? Or we'll put it into the um, uh, you know into uh, an index fund, and I'll be talking about index funds a little bit later. All right, but I generally just put it into the S and P five hundred index fund, um, and so what we're comparing is in the 401k, they're generally working with mutual funds, all right? Mutual funds typically, uh, well, none of them have beat the S&P over time, right? But generally don't don't uh, perform quite as well in terms of uh, APR, you know, rate of mm-hmm. return. Um, they don't generally work as well. And on average, mutual funds do 4.67%. Oh, they have over the last 20 years anyway, all right? They've performed at 4.67%. Um, on average. Now, in contrast with that, the average S&P 500 index fund performed at 8.19%. So that's 3.52% better, right? Um, now, I tell you that, uh, and I know you're not seeing this on your tables, but I tell you that because when generally when I do the 401k, even with a really healthy match, right? And so what I do is I start off, start the person off with uh where they roll over their um, 401k of $10,000 into a new 401k, and now they're going to work for mm-hmm. the next 40 years, whatever, mm-hmm. okay? And they get a match um, on $300 a month. And so for for 40 years, they're getting this match of, of $300 a month. On the other side of the table, I go ahead and just set up a Roth IRA where they put the same $300 in every month, but instead of doing the 401ks, now they're doing, um, you know, they're self-directing and they're doing the S&P 500. When we get down to the bottom, the principal difference between the two is $400,000 favoring the Roth IRA where they didn't get that, that uh, you know, $300 match every month. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell you that because you really should know that... Um, you know the rate of return is more powerful than than the principal addition that you're going to make over time. Okay, uh, Einstein said it best. He said uh, he said compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> that means that in terms of coolness factor, it's right there somewhere below the the pyramids and above toilet paper. Okay, <laughs> right, in right there in between. Opinion. Yeah. yeah. Hey, cool. toilet paper is pretty cool. Yeah. Try and live life without it, you know? It's pretty great. Yeah. It's all right. pretty great. Anyway. All right. So we're going to start off with that 401k. Uh, we don't need to know very much about this because there's really not much you can do with 401k. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just you throw money at it and hope that it performs better than 4.67%. But on gen- generally, it's not going to. And so, yeah. you know, that's, that's wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and we're going to call that just smoke and hopium. <laughs> All right, because you hope it does something good. Yeah. All right. Uh, number two is buy and hold investing. Now, this is what we were all taught if you're my age, mm-hmm. right? And in fact, um, the buy and hold acolytes will often uh, misquote Warren Buffett a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they they correctly quote him when they say my he he made this quote. He said, "My favorite holding period is forever." Mm-hmm. All right. Now they misconstrue that to mean that. He never sells. He buys and holds. 
Yeah. Not true. No, his favorite thing is I get a really great deal and it goes yeah. up and goes up and goes and up and keeps it. going up. And then he's like, and then I might sell it when I feel like, yeah, I've gotten enough out of it. Yeah. yeah. So right now he's sold almost, he's sold, he sold almost everything. He's, he's only into Apple and, uh, Coke, and, <laughs> Coke and Occident, Ox, I can never pronounce that. Occidental. It's that Ox, I think it's Occidental, which is the, uh, the oil company, mm. right? All right. Those are the threes that he's in, but he's been cashing out of everything else. He's sitting on $157 billion worth of cash. Mm. All right. All right. When he's selling, when the market is high, mm-hmm. okay, because we're sitting at close to all-time highs here. When he's selling, that is not a buy and hold strategy. Mm-mm. That is a market timing strategy. He's selling when it's high. He's waiting for it to go low before he buys again. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when, when we're talking about buy and hold, we are not talking about, about Warren Buffett. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is something that worked really well before 1996. Yeah. But ever since 1996, there's been a paradigm shift in the markets. Uh, by the numbers, it has not worked as well. All right. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you bought and held, right, you bought in the year 2000, held it until, um, until 2020, you're well behind uh, somebody that that timed the market, even even if they, even if they timed it only fractionally, mm-hmm. right? Twenty percent uh, down, twenty percent up. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, the next thing that uh, the next strategy that I want to discuss was active investing. Okay. All right. So this is something like uh, swing trading, spread trading, um, and and simply doing this out of a retirement fund. All right. Generally also includes momentum and event driven strategies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, But this is where they are going to be very active, which means that while they're doing it out of a fund, they are not holding it for any amount of time. They're simply trying to tag on to the fastest horse in the markets right now. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Or, you know, take something that might be going up, but get rid of it before it it goes back down. This is heavily into the market timing uh, type thing. This gets a black eye because people think, well, if I, you know, if I, if I don't hold my, my stocks for a long time, Mm -hmm. you know, for more than a year, then I, I pay a heavy tax penalty Mm -hmm. on it. Well, that's true. If, if what you're doing is holding simply a, you know, a brokerage account outside of a fund, Mm -hmm. but it's so easy now to simply stick your money into different funds and the fund itself, you don't get taxed on that until you pull it out. And if you've had the fund for any amount of time, then you're getting capital gains, you know, taxes anyway. Now talk to your, you know, accountant on on uh, the limitations of this. But there's tax benefits to simply having a fund and you can trade out of your fund all day long without taking a tax hit, right? Uh, so, so active investing is becoming kind of the preferred method among those that are willing to uh, take their time or take some time and put towards this, mm-hmm. right? Time and brain cells. Um, and it's, in, it, in fact, it's becoming a strong enough thing that uh, a couple of years ago, Citigroup put out an article or one of the um, strategists in Citigroup mm-hmm. put out an article which said, um, oh, you know, I'm going to have to look this up, but it said, uh, it, it said, or yeah, investors these days, um, these days, well, what did it say? 
It was heresy from Citigroup. Investors have no choice but to try to time the market. That, that's, that's what it was. <laughs> ah, I got it. Look that up, right? Citigroup, heresy. Investors have no choice but to try and time the market. And you'll come up with the article. Yeah. Um, and the idea was, is that since, since the paradigm shift in 1996, um, you kind of have to be a much more active than passive investor if you want to reach the same um, rate of return that you were experiencing back in the 70s and 80s. Hmm. Uh, 70s, 80s, and early 90s, I guess. All right. Up till 2000. Well, it's really with the... is with people taking control of their own investments through computers and stuff. And so they no longer had to call their brokers. They didn't have to wait on hold for 40 minutes to get right. in touch with their brokers and to say, hey, I need you to buy this and this price and blah, blah, blah. And so the dynamics have changed. And therefore, getting in and getting out has changed a little bit. More active investors are people who look at the technical analysis. They they say, okay, this is at a high. This is at a low. Let's go into it. This is on a continue. This is growing and growing. So let me get it. It looks in an uptrend. It looks like things are trending up. Therefore, let me get into it and stuff. And then yeah, anyways, that, in my opinion, that's what you're saying. And so, right, it, sorry, I, I, I think I'm coming down with something. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit quiet today. I'm not my normal self. So. Yeah. Well, but you're exactly right. You know, the fact is, is that the market is an amalgamation of everybody in the market because mm-hmm. that's what that's what the market is. It's it's uh, people buying and selling from each other, right? Right. And the market becomes what the vast majority of people are actually doing. And so when you you know back in the eighties, seventies, eighties, nineties, you had a population that was simply buying and holding. They they were you know hoping to pick something that was going to go up over time, but they were once they they bought it, they would hold it for a long mm-hmm. time. Because it was very expensive to call the broker and say, hey, sell this. It was $50 every trade. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Nobody wanted to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, the vast majority of people, the vast majority of, of the money outside of the institutions uh, wasn't trading. They were holding. And so what we had during that time period was, um, you know, constant, but it, it was slow, but it was constant growth, mm-hmm. which turned out to be, you know, just wonderful for everybody because at least you could you know, look ahead and start counting on what you would have at a retirement age, mm-hmm. right? Now we don't have that. Now everybody is, you know, trading on emotion. It doesn't take much to uh, uh, to buy or sell, right? right? In many brokers, it's absolutely free. And so we're having a lot more buying and a lot more selling, and we're seeing the markets just go straight up and straight down really fast. Right. Um, now this makes for very exciting trading, but it makes for horrible investing, <laughs> All right. Long-term investment. Yeah. Horrible long-term investment. And, and that's what we saw. Uh, if you would invested... Uh, if you don't time it right, it makes it horrible long-term right. investment. So so if you'd put $100,000 into the markets in uh, 1980, all right, and this is this is looking at the full contract SP, S&P 500, mm-hmm. all right, if you had done that in 1980, uh, put it in into the S&P 500, the numbers show that you would have reached about $1.2 million. All right. Even by the best estimates, even by the best estimates, if you were to do the very best performing S&P 500, which I think was the SPY, all right, uh, from 2000 to uh, 2020, you're only up $360,000. Yeah. Nowhere close to the 1.2, right? And so there's been a major shift 
And the only way you're getting anywhere close to a million is being able to take advantage of the dips as much as the as much as the gains. Um, and so that's why uh, you know Citigroup was saying that investors these days, you know, need to at least attempt market timing. Yeah. All right. So off of active investing, let's get to the next one. Uh, the next strategy is dollar cost averaging. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now this one is tied for first in the category of laziest form of investing strategy. Okay. This thing you do nothing, but it's just like the 401k. Okay. You simply throw your money at the market and keep buying what you're buying uh, without ever looking at what it's doing, whether it's going up or down. Okay. Um, that's what we used to do back in the 70s, 80s. All right. But these days it has not proved to be much better than the buy and hold, mm-hmm. which has really suffered since uh, 1996. All right. Um, and so, you know, but this is probably what you're stuck with if you have no idea what you're doing. You know, it, you don't want to think about it. You don't want to look at it. You're just going to, you know, do what you've always done and, and hope that uh, when the market goes down and you're throwing money at, at uh, whatever you've bought, right? That mm-hmm. you're getting a better price for it. And that's bringing... Th- it's that's, evening out your... Well, yeah. So you're buying high, you're buying low, and you're, you know, dollar cost averaging into somewhere in the middle so that when the market's up, it's, you know, looks like it's up higher on the money that uh, that you invested when, when it was at the top. Mm-hmm. Now, the truth is, is that it's not, all right? Um, the money that you bought or that you threw at the market when it was way low makes it look much better, but money thrown at the market when it's at a high still hasn't earned you all that much money, all right? So it's a lazy form of thinking when it Mm -hmm. comes down to it. But if you call a lot of the brokers and uh, investment, you know, people that, yeah, advisors that don't want to spend a lot of time in your specific portfolio, it's probably what they're going to tell you to do, all right? Yeah, just keep throwing it. In fact, they'll quote, and this is an absolute truth, and we discussed this on the show last week. All right. It's an absolute truth that you could pick any any year in history, in the history of the S&P 500, throw money at it, and in 20 years, it will have made you money. Mm-hmm. But what is not said in that statement, and because that sounds great, right? All I have to do is throw my money at the market. Mm-hmm. What that doesn't say is that if you had thrown money at the market when it was only you know, at the close to the bottom, you would have made 10 times more than if you'd thrown it at the top. Right? <laughs> we won't tell you it all, but yeah. <laughs> so, you know, kind of crazy, but that's kind of the way it's going as well. All right, let's go on. All right. So that was dollar cost averaging. Let's go to index investing. All right. Index investing is where you're buying the exchange traded funds. All right. These are called the indexes. And you know them as the S&P 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ, the Russell, things like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Most people don't know what they are. They've heard them. Uh, They've heard something about index investing. For those of you that, uh, you know, are wondering, um, what an index is, is it's kind of the same thing as a mutual fund, right? So the mutual fund is there and it's got hundreds of stocks in its portfolio. But the it's thing well is, is, it's not like a mutual fund because a mutual fund just keeps the same stuff. But the, the indexes will say, hey, you're not yeah. performing well, you're out. This company's out. You're no longer in the S&P 500 or you're no longer in the NASDAQ. You're no longer in the Russell. Right. You're no longer in the Dow. And so that's the nice thing about the indexes is that it... 
it's totally different in that way where it's like you're out. Where the mutual funds will hold on to their dogs. Well, and yeah, the mutual funds are also kind of behind the gun because, um, you know, the managers have to, I don't know, get paid. And so the more traders you have in a mutual fund, uh, especially those that are actively, um, you know, actively managing that fund, Mm -hmm. uh, that money that you're paying them to manage the fund is, well... It's being taken away from the bottom line. From your growth. Yeah. And so Potential it's much growth harder. Or loss. Your growth or loss. Right. Like, so if the mutual fund goes down. Then you're going down much further. Further. Than, because you're yeah. still paying them. You're yeah. still paying them to manage. So, so if, you, if you compare the mutual fund, the average mutual fund to the um, average exchange traded fund, there's really no comparison. The exchange traded funds perform so much better. Uh, just like the mutual funds, they're a basket of, you know, hundreds of stocks like the S&P has 505 of the best performing stocks. Mm -hmm. The NASDAQ has a hundred stocks. The Russell has 2000 stocks, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, so your money is well diversified. Uh, It has the same protections as the mutual funds. They simply perform better. Okay. All right. Um, Now this is great if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, however, w- let's just compare really fast. We had a great year this year, right? Okay. The S and P uh, performed. It, it climbed, I think, um, almost twenty percent. Yep. A year, you know, start of the year to the end of the year, um, and, and that that's that's a good year, well above the average, which is uh, somewhere closer to nine point six percent over the last twenty years for the full contract S and P five hundred. All right. Um, however, Apple did 43, almost 45%. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Microsoft did, yeah, just below that. Uh, NVIDIA did well beyond that. All right. It was, it was almost 60% for heaven's sakes. That's great. Uh, now the point is, is that if you want to be well diversified, you also have to accept that you're going to have an average of the market. You're not going to be able to outperform things very well. All right. Yeah. For that, you need to know what you're doing. And that means you need to be able to look at a company, recognize what it has that's going to uh, make it overperform or underperform. And and then, you know, get on that bandwagon instead of just taking the average. All right. So the S&P 500 index, doing index investing guarantees you an average. But hey, it, you know, by the numbers, it's much better than the mutual funds, much better than the buy and hold investing uh, dollar cost averaging style, and especially with uh, when you're looking at at those compared with the mutual fund type styles, which is generally what the 401k the um, and the dollar cost averaging is. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that that mostly put their uh, money towards the mutual funds. All right. Okay. Um, so yeah, the S and P 500. We I told you that the average uh, over the last 20 years, the average. Um, mutual fund did, uh, 4.67%. All right. Now compare that to the average S and P 500. And this is, this is comparing from the year 2000 to, you know, to the end of 2019, beginning Mm -hmm. of 2020. So that 20 year period, um, uh, yeah, the mutual funds averaged 4.67% and the S and P 500 index fund. Mm -hmm. All right. Averaged 8.19% growth. And this is year-over-year growth, right? Okay, yeah. All right. Um, the NASDAQ has fewer, you know, stocks in it. So the the S&P has 
505. The NASDAQ has only a... Well, yeah, the NASDAQ has only 100. And it did a little bit better. It did 10.6%. Now, over a long period of time, those that extra almost that extra two percent really makes a big difference okay all right mm-hmm. um and so yeah you, you know put it into a chart and, and take a look it makes a massive difference over time the extra two percent it really does yeah. i mean it's weird how that compounding interest in the two percent just change everything yeah now I say this because we're going to talk about growth investing next. And and I, you know, over the last 20 years, the growth stocks have really outperformed many of the other stocks. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you grew up in the same time period as me, you were trained to look for value stocks. Right. All right. And value investing is when you're purchasing things that you believe are under underperforming, uh, you know, with a stock that has very long-term um long-term prospects. Okay. Uh, and you're going to buy it and then just hold it because now you've got a value in your hands. And when it Mm -hmm. goes up, it's supposed to, you know, outperform. So when the market goes up, you've got something solid. Now, generally I agree with many of the tenants of the value investing, but I never sacrifice that for growth prospects. Okay. And when I'm saying that, I'll tell you that, um, that if I had the chance at say, you know, I don't know, Standard Oil, which I, you know, something like ExxonMobil or something like that, to Apple in any given year, most of the time I'd take the Apple. Yeah. All right. But only because I can look at the books and I can recognize that Apple's um, foundations are just as strong as ExxonMobil's, but Apple has been performing so much better. Mm -hmm. It's a growth stock. Okay. Now that might be coming to an end. We can talk about that in some other show, but generally... You know, um, if the foundations are all the same, take the one with the higher rate of return, return. even though, uh, you know, Apple would be considered um, not as much value as it would be growth. All right. Okay. Um, and the last 20 years have really borne that out. And you see that in the sector performance of the uh, the index uh, funds. Okay. All right. So let's go with growth investing uh, as the next strategy. Growth investing is buying shares of emerging companies that appear poised to grow. This is fraught with danger, okay, because you're always looking for the next new thing, all right? And I'm going to just take a business example here. You know, back in uh, the year 2000, and this is a long time ago, okay, um, one of the things that was just coming out that, that everybody was getting into was this idea of digital music, all right. Now, when I grew up, everything was about the Sony cassette player, and then it became the, the Sony CD. Discman, yeah, the disc. right? Mm-hmm. But then, all of the sudden, you could get away from carrying around a bunch of tapes and a bunch of discs mm-hmm. because you could digitalize your music right. and have it have a thousand songs yeah. right there at your fingertips anytime, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Well, if you were looking at the market back then, uh, the first, you know, when this first came out. Most people would have thought that Zune was going to be the one to buy. Right. Okay. Zune was the first entrant into the market and the first big name. And it was on all of the commercials. Okay. Now, ultimately, it was the um, iPod. Yeah. Or it, yeah what, it was what was Apple it even Mac. called? Yeah. It was, it was, it was the, the Apple. Yeah. iPod, I suppose, that really took the. Uh, I the don't one. know. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Apple was not the first entrant into this game, it wasn't even the fifth. Okay. 
And the problem with growth investing is if you're looking for the next best thing and you happen to put your money on the wrong horse, then, well, you know, I don't know if you've looked at, uh, at the stock, um, you know, the stock price of Zoom lately, but if it's even around, it doesn't compare with Apple. Yeah. All right. So sometimes the next best thing is not really the thing to do. And, and I, I tell you this because another strategy within the growth investing strategy is simply buying the um, IPOs. Mm-hmm. You know what? On average, IPOs lose money over the first five years. All right. Um, on the first day, they might go up, but after that, it, it's really not good. All right. Now, there are some notable exceptions. Had you bought, um, you know, Meta, which wasn't Meta back then. Facebook. All right. It was Facebook. All right. Uh, FB back in the day, then obviously you would be doing very, very well right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that didn't make up for the 13, you know, 70 other IPOs that you invested in that did not do well. All right. Um, and so, you know, if you're looking at an IPO, you've got, there's other things that you need to look at. Um, and there might be better strategies out there for you. Mm-hmm. All right. But that's growth investing uh, for the most part. Um, I like, I've got a, a mix of growth and value, I suppose, because you've got to be able to look at the company's numbers. That's hard to do with an IPO because they haven't had to publish them yet. All right. But um, but for what it's worth, you want something that's going to grow but still has enough... Uh, well, I feel like it's based on sentiment, like what people are, you know, what the sentiment is for that company right there. Oh, it the certainly IPOs. is. And so like if it's, a, if it's a company that people are like, you know what, I feel good about their sentiment, they'll do well. Mm-hmm. I would just get, a, you know, I mean, if you can capture it just right, they'll be good if you understand the sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. So. But if you can find a company that has the sentiment. Mm-hmm that has um, something that's probably going to help it to grow, but also... Is responsible. Yeah, mm-hmm. also has good finances, all yeah. right, and has what would be called a moat, all mm-hmm. right? So when you're... And now we're going to talk about value investing, right? When you're looking at value investing, what you're looking for is a company that um, that you believe is both under uh, undervalued, but also has barriers to entry so that people can't compete well with them. All right. And so uh, they've got something that other people don't have, some patent, some something that makes some them... Some programming that's more difficult yeah. to get into and people love it, you know, like Apple. Yeah. Something so. that is going to give them an edge in the markets. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, then it's going to be in the value investing type uh, world. But with the value investing, they not only have to have a moat, but you also have to be able to look at their books and say, oh, yeah, financially, they're set up for success. All right, they're going to survive a storm. They're going to survive uh, maybe a couple of years where people are still trying to figure out their um, the new right. technology, things right. like that. Okay, and so really, I'm more in favor of value and growth investing, kind of in a combination. Yeah, you have to understand both in order to do it. But that's not listed here. Okay, I've broken them up so that you understand the difference. Okay, next on the list, income investing. Now, when we're talking about income investing, this is generally done almost exclusively, um, well, generally by the retired sector uses, uses this very heavily, 
Okay. Okay. So when we're talking about income investing, we're talking about uh, stocks that pay dividends. We're talking about bonds and CD ladders and bond ladders and real estate. I thought that was more of wealth management strategy than income. Are they just collecting well, from the interest or the dividends for the for their income? All right. Well, so generally, the way things are set up is when you're really young and you need to build your account. Uh-huh. All right. Building your account with um, CDs is going to be very long and arduous and, and not very profitable. Okay? okay. So you're looking at a rate of return of maybe 5.2%, where you could be into growth stocks that are doing 40 and 50% and growing your money very quickly. Okay. All right. Uh, that's great when you're young, but when you're a little bit older, and especially in retirement years, you know, those growth stocks can go down almost as fast as they go up. Yeah. Or faster. Yeah. And so you, you don't want all of a sudden your portfolio to be halved over a two, three-year period, which has happened twice. Okay. Okay. In the last uh, 20 some odd years. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, 24 to be exact. Okay. That's happened uh, twice in the last 24 years. So you, you don't want to, uh, to all of a sudden find that you've got 50% less than you used to. And now your retirement is, you know, is in jeopardy and you have to go back to work to start funding a retirement account again. Right. Right. And so you would move into things like dividend paying stocks. Now, dividend paying stocks, if you look at them, do a five year on any dividend paying stock that pays anywhere over three, four percent. Okay, and what you'll find is is that it doesn't have much growth. In fact, it's probably flat over the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're, you know, the the good news is is that when troubled time comes, dividend uh, stocks t- typically keep a little bit more buoyant than the rest of the stocks, mm-hmm. and they keep paying their dividends on, if you picked a good one, mm-hmm. right? Okay, and they're providing cash, and so instead of instead of selling things off and eating from your uh, you know, from your your principal amount, now you're simply receiving dividends and things like that, and that's paying for your retirement, mm-hmm. right? All right, so dividends, bonds, CD ladders, real estate, uh, they don't have as big, you know, as much growth as some of the other things, but at least they constantly pay out, right? Right, the RAITs and things like that, they pay out, and, and so you've got uh, cash coming in. And that is, you know, that's very um, acceptable uh, in certain circumstances. And depending on what your circumstances are, that might be the way you go. Yeah. Okay. All right. The last one I'm going to mention is socially responsible investing. All right. This, this has been touted over the last uh, three or four years. In fact, two years ago, you know, it was the big thing. And, even, and there was even a bill on the floor to mandate... Uh, funds, you know, retirement funds to uh-huh. carry what was called ESGs or these environmentally friendly and socially environmental, social responsible, you know, all of the rest. Of, that's what the ES is for. Okay. All right. Not the ES, like the. All right. So it's called an ESG. Con- ESG. Okay. Yeah. And the ES is the environmental and social. And I, I forget what the G is, but you know, it's got a, a black eye in the business lately because socially responsible, being socially responsible can also be very expensive. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, the problem with it because um, really people love the idea of a company that is environmentally friendly, but if it doesn't perform as well as another company, 
then it's hard to put money into it, <laughs> right? When people are like, uh, I yeah. need to be able to Yeah, I, I, I put my money in the market so that it would grow. Yeah. That's the thing, That's right? The thing. And now it's not growing, all right? And if you really understand how things work, then you know that unless you bought at the IPO, it's not helping the company <laughs> to buy the stock anyway. Yeah. Right? Now you're, you're buying it from somebody who bought it, uh, from somebody else or something like that. And it's not funding the company in any way. So buying the ESG company in the in stock mm-hmm. form um, after the IPO is, you can call it socially responsible, but it's not helping do much more than, than lose you money probably. Yeah. All right. And so it's got a kind of a black eye lately. Um, and, and it's one of those things that is falling out of favor very quickly. All right, so those are the nine uh, different uh, forms of, at least major forms of investing. All right, which one is best? Well, it's generally best if you understand what your ultimate goal is. All right, what might be best for you? I don't know, Or what your temperament is for investing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you need to understand who you are. Yeah, well, and so, you know, we have a class. It's called Strategic Investor. It's one of our highest rated classes, Um, and it... In it, the students learn how to find well-performing instruments based on their investing goals at the time in life where they are, and then milk them for all they're worth, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And so, you know, um, one of the strategies that you would find there is if you were in a mode where you couldn't spend a lot of time looking at things, but Mm -hmm. you wanted some growth, all right, then you might uh, buy the, say, the NASDAQ and do covered calls on it. Yeah. And by the way, if you don't know what covered calls are, they're the coolest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> it's an yeah. option. Yeah, right and there next to toilet paper. Yeah, and we teach yeah. about that too. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so covered calls. And so if you look this up, look this up, all right? The NASDAQ performed at 10.6% over the last 20 years. If you look up QYLD, this is a company that will do covered calls for you on the NASDAQ. Now, you get the covered calls, but there's not a lot of growth in the fund, right? And so right now, you either have to choose between getting the, um, getting the covered call money mm-hmm. or getting the growth of the NASDAQ. Mm. And those are your choices. All right. Now, what we would teach people to do is go ahead and buy the NASDAQ and do your own covered calls. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the QYLD, I think as of today, um, it was showing that it has a, uh, it's not a dividend, but it's a yield. Mm-hmm. All right. They put out a monthly, they give you money, they do the covered call for you and, and you get the money for it mm-hmm. or at least whatever, you know, they're not absorbing in their fees. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you get that. Um, it was, I think 11.7% annually. That's great. Yeah. All right. So, you know, if you're thinking about this, if you have an instrument that is growing like the NASDAQ at mm-hmm. 10.6% and you're doing covered calls on it at 11.7%, mm-hmm. Well, then you're performing at 22% a year, right? 11.6 plus, or 10.6 plus 11.7, right? 22% and change every year. And that's dynamic growth if you're doing that over a 20, 40 year period, right? That does sound dynamic. Yeah. Um, And because you're in the NASDAQ, you've got, you know, 100 stocks, it's well diversified. So you're not too concerned about it, I guess. <laughs> you should be, but maybe you're not. Okay. And that's why you went into that instead of a single stock. But the point is, is you're getting the growth and the covered call. And, and that would be very appropriate for people 
and especially, you know, they're in their 20s who are looking for growth, but don't have a lot of time to spend um, on, uh, on watching the markets and picking out the very best. Now, in their 40s, they might do covered calls on Apple. Yeah. All right. Because they understand the difference between the two and they're willing to spend some time simply watching the market and, and, you know, caring for their goods. Yeah. All right. A little bit more. And then they'll get more growth plus the dividend Mm -hmm. and that beautiful. Mm -hmm. So they actually grow faster because they're taking care of it. Anyway, those that don't have a whole bunch of time or don't have any desire at all to look at things would do eh, maybe, uh, you know, something where they're doing. Um, you know, bonds and dividends and and simply putting, uh, you know, having a, a spread uh, put and, and call spread on those mm-hmm. just to make sure that, you know, they're only going to get two or 3% a year out of the out of the spreads if they're doing something like that. But hey, at least they're, you know, constantly doing an eight, 9% growth. Yeah. All right. Uh, so th- those are the kind of things that that, uh, that class teaches. It it's well worth it. And that's probably why it's one of our highest rated. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Well, we at the, uh, you know, the trading Academy t- teach both wealth type, uh, strategies and income type strategies. Mm-hmm. Okay. We teach it in stocks, options, futures, and Forex. Um, if you would like to know more, if you'd like to, uh, to figure out how this works and, and start, uh, shepherding your own, wealth and maybe uh, picking up, you know, some extra income in trading, give us a call. Well, don't give us a call. How about you just go to our website? That'll be easier. Okay. Just go to our website. (laughs) You can call if you want, I suppose, but I'm going to give you the website. Okay. Go to the website. uh, And first do yourself a favor and just come into a three hour class just so you can see what types of things we teach and, and if you're comfortable with it. Okay. Well, you can see on the board, you can see everything that we just described. It was yeah. really hard to like understand everything that was going on. To follow along? Yeah. Well, I hope you got the general idea. I hope so, too. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so if you want a better idea of how trading and investing works, come to one of our th- free three-hour classes, all right? Um, like I said, it's free, so there's no reason not to come. You can do it in person. You can do it online. Either way, you would go to www.tradingacademy.com. That's www.tradingacademy.com. And then just look for a class uh, that fits your schedule and um, and your location. All right. And if you're in the Phoenix area, please come by. We'd love to talk with you. Okay. Um, love to hear this, that, uh, that you're listening to the show and talk to you about how I can do uh, maybe a little bit better. Okay. Uh, or approach subjects that uh, that maybe you would love to hear that I haven't I haven't talked about in either the trading or investing. So come on in, uh, talk to me about the show, but uh, mostly come for the free three hour class. Good information. It'll start you on your journey, and uh, you know it couldn't hurt. It's free, three hour class. www.tradingacademy.com. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and hope you're listening next week. And I see you in class. 